it takes a lot to develop trust. Like, I don't think we really, there's not an, you know, for entrepreneurs, there needs to be like a trust workshop, a trust retreat, because trust is not just, I can do it faster. Trust is you have to be able to trust somebody to come up with their own process to do it and know that it's going to look different from what you would do, which I think is a super uncomfortable part. I think it's also my golden rule about entrepreneurship. You have to really, 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 really add like a thousand more reallys like people. You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. Holy shit, y'all. This interview is straight fire. Kenzie Biggins is fascinating. Her energy is absolutely electric. But more importantly, her business and what she has built is seriously impressive. And the story of how she did it is fascinating. And she dives into some of the decisions that she made and some of the really incredible things that happened as a result. So she talks about actually relocating to be part of a kind of business community. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an accelerator, but lots of like business support programming, which led to a feature in the Wall Street Journal, which led to an interview on 60 Minutes, which led to raising a round of fundraising, even though she always thought she would never take it. And now she is poised for serious growth and scale. And on top of that, we dive into her kind of later in life diagnosis of dyslexia. And I share a little bit about my late in life diagnosis of ADHD and how that totally changed the game for her and her understanding of how she works, how she thinks. Um, And one of the most impressive things about the entire conversation is her emphasis on the impact that she's creating. Yes, she talks about helping her clients, her customers, But more importantly, she talks about helping the people that work for her. She's building a business that has the ability to transform the lives of so many people. This entire interview, this conversation is... mm, It will give you goosebumps like a million times over. I guarantee it. And she she is a powerhouse. Let me just put it that way. So give a listen. Let me know what you think of Kenzie. I am beyond impressed by this woman and so grateful for my dear friend, Walker McKay, my very first interview on this podcast, who made the introduction. So buckle up and start listening. Kenzie, I am so incredibly excited to have this conversation. You and I have been kind of planning this for a while. And all it has done is like amped up my excitement and my intrigue, especially because when you and I talked, I think it was like a week after your 60 minutes kind of interview feature. So you're doing some really cool stuff that I'm excited to talk about. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Um, Okay, so to kick things off, who are you? What do you do? Who's Kenzie Biggins? No, I mean... (laughs) So I am the founder and CEO of Worksby, which, you know, in EOS terms, which I'm sure we'll talk about during this conversation, which is the entrepreneurial operating system. I am our visionary. So we focus um, primarily on virtual executive assistant support, but we are in the process of expanding that to really look at the entire administrative process. Because at the end of the day, what I help letting people do is helping them elevate their households and helping them sustain their households. 
So how can we help more people understand that path from assistant to executive assistant through training and resources and connecting them with clients? So yes, right now we are virtual executive assistants. In the very near future, we are your exceptional administrative solution. Mm. Ooh, ooh, I feel like you've been <laughs> practicing that and that is good. Exceptional administrative solution. solution. Yes. Oh, like that's good. And as someone who is, it's like a miracle that I'm like as organized as I am because I am just not an organized person. I am not an administrative person by any stretch of the imagination. That sounds like, I don't know, like mana from heaven. It's like, that's like music to my ears in such an amazing way. So I'm excited to kind of dive into where all of this came about and your background, especially as a visionary, how you, how you figured out how to do this. Yeah. I'm never, it, it doesn't make sense, but it all came together. So yes, <laughs> which is amazing, which is amazing. Okay. So before we get to all that, cause we're going to get to all that. We always start, we always start these interviews. You know, the whole theme of the podcast is like, we learn from the hard stuff, not the easy stuff. Tell us a story about something difficult that you went through, some adversity you faced, some challenge you dealt with that ultimately like kind of unlocked the growth and the progress that you've you've experienced miss 60 minutes. There there's so many things. I mean, I feel like <laughs> people probably talk to you about people all the time, um which we could talk about that. They talk about money and funding, we can talk about that. But I think my big thing was learning to appreciate and value the way I think and process things. So the hard thing for me, I did not learn until I was 39 that I'm dyslexic. And right, I learned it. So I sit on the board for the Atlanta Speech School, which shout out to them. They're amazing. I went there when I was young, because we knew that I had problems with speech pattern. But the speech pathologist I had was a visionary in her own. And between her and her mentor, they were able to figure out that dyslexia was a spectrum and not just how we saw words on paper. So they were able to identify these children and be like, oh, they're dyslexic, but don't know if we can really put that out there because that's not how the world qualifies dyslexia. So very thankful that I had that early intervention, later joining the board, figuring out they're like, oh, I, I too am dyslexic, but it opened up my mind, because for so long, I was like, why do I think so differently? Like, why do I come to these conclusions different for everybody else? You know, my outside of the box thinking, which as an entrepreneur, as a visionary is highly appreciated. But when I was in corporate settings, <laughs> like it would have been appreciated. Well, if, if I had encountered enough people who were like, we're going to elevate you to the top because you think differently. And I did have a, I had leaders doing an internship in grad school who were like, we get it. You think outside the box, you tear down all the walls. Like, let's talk about this. How do we take this to the next level? But most corporate environments don't always appreciate that. Um, Especially it also, early in your career when oh, you're, you're, sure. the, your job is, is to follow the rules, not break them. Right. And then also people don't talk about the fact that it can freak out your employees. Like as an entrepreneur, when you're processing through things and your brain is like 50 miles down the road and they're like, how did she get there? What am I missing? What didn't I do? Um, even starting a company, you know, Worksby was started under a different name in 2013 initially. So, you know, imagine someone coming to you and talking about virtual executive assistance in 2013. Seriously. <laughs> you are a trailblazer. So yes, I would say my, my tough lesson has been getting comfortable with how I think and not making excuses for it, but bringing my whole self to the table, no matter what, and not letting anybody make me feel like I need to shy away from my power, which is coming up with the creative solutions and helping people think beyond the limitations of where they are. Oh my God. I love everything about this. And, and so I have a similarity because I am one of the the many middle-aged women that during COVID realized, I think I have ADHD. And it was one of those things where 
as I started to go down that path and the more I started to learn, the more like the pieces started to come together. Like I started to connect the dots of, oh my God, that's why I was like that. That's why my entire kind of education, I would kill it on essays and exams and, but never turn in any homework. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, (laughs) and it was really funny too, because my, um, my parents, like my mother saved kind of everything. And years ago, she sent, she sent this actually beautiful, like leather bound kind of file folder that had every letter to Santa or the tooth fairy and, and every single report card from my entire childhood. And it was really funny. It was like COVID you're sitting around doing nothing. And so I was, I was going back through a bunch of them, like not realizing really what I was doing. And I, this is at the same time where I'm going down this like ADHD journey and I'm seeing literally from like kindergarten on, it's like, Casey's really smart. She's really good at all these things. We really wish she would do more of her homework. <laughs> Okay. But it's, I think, and it's, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of women entrepreneurs that had a very similar thing where what makes us excel and what is our advantage when we are entrepreneurs or when we are senior executives is what made it really hard to be happy and to thrive for any extended period of time in corporate America, because they might love your out of the box thinking in the very early days. And then when you start to direct your out of the box thinking at things that they didn't have on their list or at them, they start to be not so pleased with it. I think it's also the limitations. And, you know, (laughs) this has been like through time, right? It goes back to how we teach in the school system, it goes into, you know, how do we make leadership training work for a group of 20 people who are all in a room together when five of those people think really, really different from everybody else in the room? Like, how do we see transferable skills when we're bringing people into a corporate environment or even our own businesses? Like, how do we take the time to stop and appreciate that um, to help our teams grow? And I feel like... (laughs) I'm in the middle of that right now because we are growing as a team and trying to create leadership training that will help people continue to advance. But it's like, how do you address everybody in the room and really make sure that they understand what's happening and they're receiving the lesson and like every single person is receiving the lesson where they are in that moment and that we're meeting them where they are so they can advance as a leader. And it's, and it's, they're, they have what they need to integrate it into kind of who they are. So not just like where they are, but, you know, we all learn in very different ways and what we need to, to learn or to evolve for, for me can be drastically different. I'm, I'm collaborating right now with someone who like everything has to be image based PowerPoint. And I'm someone where like, no, I want to like write it all out. And I'm like, okay, I need to totally adjust because I write this long thing and he doesn't read it. But it's also the fact that the the individual acknowledged this to you and that you acknowledge like how many people, I love our ops manager. We get on calls together and she's like, so listen, Kenzie's a quick processor. You're going to be talking about things. She's just going to throw out ideas and tell you what you need. She's like, I need time to take it all in. So save time for me at the end of the call. I'll be able to process it all by then and have that conversation. But we don't create enough spaces where people feel comfortable saying that up front because everybody's expected to be a Kinsey, but realistically, very few people are quick processors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's also, I think you're exactly right. It's the, it's the time and the space, but it's also giving, especially younger employees, the tools so that they can they can have that self-awareness because I'm sure, I mean, it sounds like you and I are really similar in this. Like we didn't, we knew we were different. We knew we were different in, in different ways, but we didn't really understand how or why and, and have sort of the nuance to be able to adjust how we think about it ourselves, let alone explain it to someone else. And when you get to that point, like, it's really satisfying being able to help someone else figure that out for themselves. I remember a math teacher who um, was awesome in high school, who funny sidebar years later, I'm back at my high school talking about entrepreneurship. And he like comes in the room and he's like, you're okay. You made it. And I'm like, dang, you all knew that I had an issue and nobody could tell me. 
<laughs> but I remember him telling us one time sitting, it was our senior year. And he was like, life is almost like this repetitive version of high school. The like the same like lessons and things keep happening over and over again. The number one, that is super true of entrepreneurship because it's like, you got to learn who the bullies are. You got to learn who's there to help you. You got to learn who's like talking trash behind your back, all the lessons all over again, um, all, over and over and over again, Lord. But it's the same thing. I feel part of the reason I feel like it's repetitive is because of the way I know you did not ask for all this, but how the education system has been modeled and that like teach to test model. And when do we get beyond that? to embrace everybody's unique ability. So if we're not doing it at a young age, how do we expect corporations to automatically be like, you know what, we're going to train to unique abilities. Or we're going to place in positions based on unique abilities. I mean, we're getting there. So we're using the entrepreneurial operating system. It's very much based on an accountability chart, unique abilities, those things. But you know, the time and energy that it takes also to get there and the uncomfortableness of being the leader and being like, okay, we're going to figure this out, y'all. Like, it's much easier for people to default to where they're comfortable. Uh, absolutely. And and you're exactly right. Like, our world is not structured that way. And it's interesting. I was really fortunate growing up. I went to, I went to private schools until my junior year, until my junior year of high school. And so I did really well in school because they didn't really care they cared more about how I was learning. And so they didn't stress over the fact that I never turned in my homework. They were like, well, she's learning. And so I still got good grades. And then the moment I went to public school where grade was one, like completely decided on, on, yeah, <laughs> on uh, homework. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like these, like these, these uh, memorization and things like that. And my grades totally tanked because I didn't, and, and it's, it didn't take, and I mean, it took until I was 38 before I was like, oh, that's why that happens. Like, I didn't get that. I thought I was just really lazy. Um, it's not. Okay, so so now I'm really curious. Break down EOS for us. I know there are so many layers to it. And I know there's so... You, we could talk about it for literally hours. But give us kind of the the quick and dirty of what is this model? And I'm also really curious sort of how you discovered it and started to kind of make these changes. Because that's where I was going to start. So perfect. <laughs> so I was sitting in um, a WeBank presentation, which is a Women's Business Enterprise National Council. It's a mouthful. And they were doing a specific um, workshop for Black business owners, Black female business owners. And an implementer, an EOS implementer was on and she was talking about all these things about EOS. And, you know, it's only an hour that she was talking, which to put it into context, it takes people years to actually implement um, EOS. So she's talking and I'm listening and it's kind of, you know, it's that hamster wheel of being an entrepreneur where you're like, I know that, like, I know I need to figure this out. I know there must be a way, like, why do I keep getting stuck on this one thing? And she's talking about this stuff. that's all about solving those problems. And I'm like, huh, huh, okay, hmm, wait, is she talking to me directly? Or like, <laughs> are there other people here? So at the end of the call, she was like, you know, if you want to learn more, call me. And I immediately called her like, I need to understand more because a lot of what you're talking about is where I feel like we are stuck. Now, let me give this disclaimer. So I feel like a lot of people read the book, you know, they hear an implementer give a speech and they're like, oh, you know, like, it's going to go out and do it and figure it out. I can do this on my own. I get right, it. Right. Yeah. I am a huge advocate for get an implementer because there is so much hard work that has to be done in order to make EOS work that if you don't have somebody holding you accountable on a level that nobody wants to be held accountable, you're never going to get all the work done. So it's doing things like digging into your core values in order to make every single company decision. So how, you know, how, how dedicated are you to your core values? How dedicated are you to your niche of what you do? Do you understand the passion behind your business in order to make every driving decision based on that? I mean, all the way down to, I was our second or third session. We're going through our core values. There's this whole thing as a people analyzer and they talk about get it, want it, capacity to do it. We're going through and we're like rating ourselves as a team. We're rating our EAs, you know, the easy stuff. And then it's like, now rate your clients. And I was like, wait a second. Wait, 
what? And then it was like, so of these, like, who are your top two? Who are your bottom two? Okay, here you go. Well, why are they your client? Well, they're paying us. What do you mean? Why are they your <laughs> client? You know, if this EA is your bottom EA, like, why are they your EA? And we had to make it some tough decisions. And to have Shay, who is our implementer, sitting there challenging us and saying, so what is the time and like mental capacity and stress that is taking you for these bottom two clients who don't line up with any of your core values and they don't get it, want it, or have the capacity to really take on and build a relationship with an EA. I mean, that is the tough, that's the tough kind of question or questions that we all need to be asking ourselves, but they're, they're the hardest ones. Um, and even when you know, I mean, how many conversations had, had you had with yourself or with a friend who also has a business where you're like, Oh God, I hate this client. They are so difficult. They're really a terrible client. Ha 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 ha. And then you don't do anything about it. They're paying me. So I'll figure out how to do it. And it is, it's, I, I think a lot about, um, I love that book, Essentialism by Greg McKeon. And, and one of the things he talks about is he's like, the more you do the things that are like, okay, fits, the less time and space and energy you have for the things that are perfect fits. Yes. And I mean, that's part of it. So, you know, having those tough conversations, doing that tough assessment, it all of a sudden frees up space to start noticing things that you never noticed before. But then it's also like, oh, well, crap, now I got to take accountability for that because I see it. Like now it's this blazing red flag in front of me. And am I just going to act like nothing's going on? Because now it's not just me involved. I mean, we went from a very small, we had like three people running WorkSpeed as a whole. Now there's 10 and there's a whole leadership team and they will call me out on my stuff. Um, We were actually on an EOS session yesterday and we're talking about bringing in a contractor to do product development work for us. And um, our business development manager was like, well, when are we interviewing her? Like, did you skip that part? We need to talk. (laughs) And I was like, thank you. Thank you for calling me out. It's not just me anymore. There are multiple people here. Yes, we need to talk about this as a team. But it's, it's the freedom of number one, the number of entrepreneurs who I talk to who are like, Oh, I want to learn about your business. Like how do I get in contact with you? And I'm like, Oh, actually not me. You want to talk to Dylan. He's my business development manager. His team will take care of you. And the number of entrepreneurs are like, Oh, that's, that's a real thing. Like you have, (laughs) you don't have to do sales anymore. Like, Oh, that's it. Right. I mean, that alone, that that's, that's a big deal. And I think it's also, look, I, I would say the most common sort of challenge that I see with especially service-based entrepreneurs, and frankly, I hate to say it, but especially women, we suck at delegating. Well, let's let's break that down a little well, bit more. I think because there's two there's components. A, there's a bunch of components. Break it down. I think the two big components are one, a lot of women start doing jobs because they're doing something that they love and turning it into a career. I've never been an EA. So that definitely helped me in this process. Like I was never going to be the EA. I think it's also the message that we receive. So how many men have told you, no, you have to be the one to do sales for your company. And then you turn around and look at their company and they don't do sales at all. And you're like, oh. 100%, 100%. I, and I think on top of that, we wind up getting into this mode of like... I, I will talk to people that oftentimes they, you think that, okay, someone's bad at delegating because they like the control and it needs to be perfect and they worry about loosening the reins. But it's just as common that they think, well, I can do it so quickly and it's such a minor thing. So I feel bad asking someone else to do it. And so it's, you get in these like people pleasing dynamics, you, you get in the perfectionism. I mean, there's all kinds of things that kind of feed into it. And so, so often we wind up in these positions where we are doing tons of things that we should not. Eight million jobs. I mean, before EOS, I was doing so much. And as we worked through EOS, we were like, how are you doing all this before? Like now there's like eight of us doing what you were doing literally by yourself. So part of that too, is it takes a lot to develop trust. Like, I don't think we really, there's not an, you know, for entrepreneurs, there needs to be like a trust workshop, a trust retreat, because trust is not just, 
I can do it faster. Trust is you have to be able to trust somebody to come up with their own process to do it and know that it's going to look different from what you would do, which I think is a super uncomfortable part. I think it's also my golden rule about entrepreneurship. You have to really, 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 really add like a thousand more reallys like people. Because everything you do is about your relationship to people, people working in your business, people as clients, because you're not selling to like a piece of paper, you're selling to an individual who's buying a piece of paper. And just the complexities of like human emotions and just so much. But trust, it's how you build trust. And I, and I think it's, you have to like people. You also just have to have a natural sort of curiosity about people. Because I think the other thing that is really hard about it is, you've talked about this already, how do you figure out how someone else works? How someone else, like what makes them tick? How you can put them in a position where they really shine and they excel in their role in a way that makes your business better versus giving them a role because like you need, you need the job done and you kind of pass it to them. And then they don't, they don't really do it the way that it needs to be done. And everybody, they feel, they feel like shit. You feel sort of pissed off or frustrated. And it's this really difficult conversation. And that's, you've got to have that trust, that, that relationship, that self-awareness and help them with their self-awareness and their communication. It is like, it is the greatest most challenging relationship communication, like accelerator in human existence. It's it's that other piece of two, everybody is not you. Because I think lots of times entrepreneurs, we set out looking to clone ourselves, which is just really not possible. And then people fall into that, like, oh yeah, I can be your clone because entrepreneurship looks sexy, but we all know that it's not in in any way, like it's just not, it's not people. If you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, come talk to me. It's not sexy. You don't sleep. We just don't want y'all to know how busted we really feel. So we button it up and make ourselves look fancy. Um, I think it's, it's that piece. And it's also acknowledging that not everybody, I mean, I was literally just having this conversation with one of our team members. Not everybody has the ability to make the high level decisions. Not everybody can you give one idea to, and they're going to take it and carry it to like the next, you know, town over. Some people are really just in that moment, you know, provide the checklist and that is who they are. But how do we appreciate the people? Because we need those folks in our life. We need the folks who are like, I just want to check the item off the list. I am awesome at this. I am not trying to come up with the next idea or do the next thing. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. Absolutely. And, and I think it's also, it's, it's, it's not just like, I don't know, how do we, how do we be okay with it? It's like, how do, to your point, how do we freaking celebrate it? Because the, the work doesn't get done if you don't have someone who is a doer to do it. And we need those people. And, and sometimes we sort of, as visionaries, like we get really excited about that stuff and it can be, it can make the doers feel left out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, we definitely don't do enough to celebrate doers. We also have created this culture where like everybody should be working towards a promotion or everybody should be working towards the next thing. Like how do we create space for people to grow where they are? How do we create space for them to increase their salary where they are? Like not everybody's going to be CEO. Yeah. And you still need people to do the basic functions. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I do think that's an interesting thing just in corporate America in general 
it's like we sort of view it as a failing if you aren't regularly getting promoted. But there's lots of people where they just love being a salesperson or they love being, you know, an accountant. They don't want to be the VP of finance or the CFO. They love doing accounts payable or whatever. Yes. You know, and we don't we don't celebrate it. We don't appreciate it. it. And we almost belittle them for not um, moving up in the world. But I mean, it's uh, so many opinions there. (laughs) (laughs) I know because it's not just about corporate America. It's just kind of about, about society and culture in general. And it's, it's funny. I think a lot lately about, you know, this, this, never ending growth trajectory that like our entire world and capitalism is built on is like, that's not really sustainable. You know, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like capitalism's great, but, but we need breaks. Like, we, need we, breaks. Don't, we need an ebb and flow. Some of that feels more us based than anything else, but like, how do we celebrate people taking vacations or taking time off? Um, how do we make it okay for an entrepreneur to take time off? I remember having this conversation, you know, earlier days when it was mainly, me doing a lot of it. I remember, you know, getting married and it was like the night before and I'm taking a call from a client who has no clue that I'm getting married. I remember, you know, my grandmother passing away and trying to go through the mourning process and having an EA and a client who were both like acting wild. And I was just like, I like, I don't have the energy for this, but I got to mustard up and pull it together because if I like you in that moment, I was like, these people literally don't care about what I have going on personally. Now, luckily part of the pandemic part of the you know golden lining of the pandemic because I think we do have a little more compassion for what people have going on but I also feel like I'm starting to see that disappear quickly even with the ebbs and flows like the the pandemic is not gone but with the ebbs and flows of it I feel like our patience um, and our understanding of people experiencing life is quickly going out the window yeah I think I think you're right okay so I'm I'm curious all right, you're you're in this this growth mode, and I know enough from our previous conversation. I know some of what kind of what prompted that, what is enabling that, what is that next chapter. But but share a little about that because I think it's a really exciting story. Yes, so so many things. Um, so I, as a black woman, moved from Atlanta, Georgia, to Greenville, South Carolina, in 2017, which I get lots of crazy looks about. But I moved there specifically to grow my business. They have an accelerator specifically for minority-owned businesses. And I was just like, you know what? Let's take a chance. You can always go back home. Let's figure this out and get it done. And everything that Greenville committed to me, they have been doing for me. Um, So, you know, business coaches, resources, connecting me to people. But then, you know, during the pandemic, the Wall Street Journal reaches out. And they're like, hey, you know, the Greenville Chamber gave us your information. And we're talking about where people are moving and, you know, businesses that are poised to grow in the pandemic. So, okay. The next thing we know, it's a front page story and like my pictures in section A of the Wall Street Journal. And it was like, oh, like, okay, all right, this is different, but hey. (laughs) And then several months after that, all of a sudden this email comes through our system and it's like, oh, we're trying to find Kenzie Biggins. We're the producers for 60 Minutes. But it was one of those things where, you know, my team was like, You're like is, is this real? Right? <laughs> is someone trying to like scam us? What yeah. is this? <laughs> so when they like, ask for your social security number, like right afterwards. Right? No. When they tell me I need a deposit before I show up for the recording, <laughs> you know, that's no, that did not happen. Um, but when... And I was like, okay, let's respond to this because I'm not sure what this is. And it was actually 60 minutes. And they were like, you know, we discovered you through the Wall Street Journal article. But then I found out they also had a conversation with the chamber about me. And the chamber was like, you know, absolutely talk to Kinsey. And, you know, one, the Oprah effect is real (laughs) because life got crazy. Now, let me say this. I... I love the fact we were featured. I would not take that away for the world. I love the fact that they really featured one of our EAs telling her story, you know, through the pandemic and working virtually. I think that spoke volumes to the world as far as thinking about how we work and how we value people. Um, You know, our niche and core values of what we do, we want to help people do what they love, right? We're helping people thrive. So it really told that story. Um, So along with all of the people reaching out to become EAs, along with 
people reaching out to become clients, I started getting these messages that were like, Hey, have you thought about taking on investment? And I had always been like, heck no, we're not taking on investment. Like we're going to grow this thing. We're fine. Pish posh, (laughs) you know, investors. And part of that is just feeling too. once again, I'm going to say being a black woman, it is, it's an interesting journey. One, the questions and things like, and I mean, in the articles say it, it's one thing for the articles to say it. It's another thing to experience it. So like most people don't trust the financials of black women. Um, most black women never get VC funding because they can't get enough friends and family money in order to take that leap. Or if we do get VC funding, it's not above a million dollars because we have not been able to take that initial leap. Um, and there's just a high distrust of black women and our abilities at this level which is very disheartening. So I was like, no, I'm not raising money. I have no desire. That sounds horrible. I am good. Um, But, you know, you get the question so many times, you start to say, hmm, well, should I consider this? And I was actually listening to uh, how I built this podcast. Um, And it was, uh, what's the name of their company? They do book reviews. They sold to Amazon and Goodreads. Yes. And he made the comment that, you know, we had people offer us money and we always said no. And then they had a moment where it was like, I think it was an advisor. Somebody told them, if you're going to look back in five years and think to yourself, I could have been here if I had taken that money. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I need to to think about this. I need to look into this. And luckily, I have some amazing advisors that I reached out to that were like, you know, do you feel like you can significantly grow your business if you take in a little bit of money beyond where you would have. And one, it was amazing advisors. Two, it was getting connected to like the friends and family pool of people who actually could write me significant checks to help us move along. So we're in the process of wrapping up um, that round of investment, but that's all happened very quickly. I mean, lots of times people are raising money for years. We really started raising money officially like the end of February, maybe early March. So wrapping that up in the end of July, um, well, officially probably early August. But, you know, it's it's an interesting place to be in because one, now the vision for growing the business um, and all the people that we can touch and impact has taken on a brand new scale. It's also, you know, stark reminder too of going through the process of how the world views Black women and black leaders and the challenges. Um, so yeah, it's, I'll definitely have a book to write one day, but it has been a journey and I hope that I'm able to pass it forward one day and really have a focus on investing at the friends and family level, because that's where until the financial model out there for investment figures it out, which I think maybe a generation or two, you know, I can at least stand in the gap and help other women. Yeah. And I think, look, you, you, you bring up a really, I think probably like the most important point and one that gets glossed over all the time is, and I, I have a a friend who she has an e-commerce business and she did, she got, uh, kind of advisors and mentors to connect her to a bunch of really successful, like e-commerce related, um, founders. And I think she interviewed I don't know, it was maybe 20 and really asked sort of what about their process. How do they achieve this success? Every single one of them talked about their friends and family around and the average number, the average number out of all of these interviews she did was $70,000. And like, you think about how few people on this planet and, and, and in the business ecosystem can call up friends and family and rustle up 70 grand. Well, and, and really it's a lot more than that. Cause when you think about what you need to even get to a series a, like you're talking North of a million dollars usually and people, and it's also that idea of, did they take in that 70,000 based on an idea? Because that's the other part of it. Black women are expected to have like a fully fleshed out business that's making money and doing all these things. And most of the time, the the black women that I've talked to, they have that, but the investors that they talk to don't really understand the market that they're going after. 
Um, so it'll be one in particular that I'm I'm remembering. She was um, basically wanted to build a LinkedIn, but for salon workers, hairstylists, nail techs, all of this. Every single investor she talked to was like, no, they'll just use LinkedIn. I would have used it when I moved to Greenville and I was searching desperately for someone to cut my hair. I mean, I think about it. I have so many friends. I think about a friend in particular where she had an amazing business idea, could not get anybody to fund it. You know, fast forward six years, I'm watching a white male pitch the exact same business. People are throwing money at him and it's not nearly as fleshed out as everything she put together. And like, you know, I wanted to be happy for him because of the situation we were in. But inside I was like literally seething like, he doesn't even have like a fourth of the idea and concepts that she had figured out and she could not get any money. That is the full business version of being in the conference room. And as a woman, you say your idea and nobody, and it's like crickets. And then 30 seconds later, a dude says the exact same thing. And everyone's like, Oh my God, that is so smart. Oh yeah. That happened to me in corporate America. Oh, all the freaking time. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's women in general, for black women, it is significantly worse, but women in general, they've shown it. Like they've done studies all over the place. We are, men are promoted, hired, given opportunities based on potential. We are given it based on experience. And so if you are doing something new, you are doing something you've never done before. They just don't believe that you can do it. And it's so it's interesting because I also think there's the dynamic of because there are a lot of issues. Well, for the people of color community as a whole, there are a lot of issues, but I think there are different ways of holding back. Right. So it's interesting because black women, I feel, are, you know, uplifted because we are getting degrees at a higher rate. We're getting advanced degrees at a higher rate. So we are finding ourselves in these spaces because we're like, well, we've done all we've done all the things you said we needed to do to be here. So we are here now. And then it's like that whole, like, how do we control the narrative now that they're there versus, you know, with other groups, especially I think about black men sometimes, like how do we control the narrative from an access of like how degreed they are other things. So it's almost like black women are like, okay, challenge accepted. Here we go. But I've also, you know, yes, I'm someone who has an undergrad and a master's degree, but I also think we need to get back to celebrating people who have the skill sets, especially being in the EA space. Like your best EAs don't have a college degree. They've been doing it. It's experience. There is no college degree to be an EA. So when we have clients show up who are like, oh, well, I want to know where they went to college. And we're like, that does not matter. That does and not the, matter. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, that misunderstanding, right? Of when we talk about before the whole school system and how things move forward. Like how do we celebrate people actually bringing their unique abilities to the table? And look, this is something that I really appreciate how you talk about your business because you don't actually normally hear this. Everything you have said, when you talk about the passion of what you're doing, the impact of that you're creating all the rest. Yeah. Okay. You've talked a little bit about what you do for clients but your big emphasis is on what you do for the people that you hire to be EAs. And that is a complete, like that's, that's not typical. We normally as business owners focus on like the clients and, and I'm, I know, I, I know because I've also talked to people that have worked with you, you, you deliver an incredible experience for your clients, but I just want to call out, it is really different. And frankly, it's really inspiring and motivating to hear you bring that passion to the people that work with you and for you, not just the people who pay you money. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people, a lot of entrepreneurs get that backwards, in my opinion. Um, My graduate thesis was actually from Savannah College of Art and Design. I did my master's in luxury and fashion management. So I wrote my thesis on improving the American economy through the production of luxury goods. So how do we take a highly skilled labor force and connect them to meaningful work to sustain their households, which is what we are now doing. Um, But I don't think we, as a country, put enough celebration behind the highly skilled person, right? Like, 
yes, my clients need someone who is going to help them perform at the highest level so they can grow their business, so they can focus on their core roles and values and you know responsibilities of what they need to get done. But if we can't celebrate the person who's actually able to help them achieve that, and if we can't pair them together in a meaningful way, I mean, a lot of what we do is pairing the client and the EA. And it's always interesting when we have And let me say this too, with EOS, we have improved this. We do a lot more to assess clients coming in the door than we used to. Um, But like the client who the EA fires them because the client does something super disrespectful to them or ask them to do something unethical. And the client's just like, well, they're my EA. They just need to do it. And we're like, no, this is a human too. Like these are humans. These are highly skilled humans who are helping elevate you and take you to the next level. Why would you not want to celebrate them because they're doing what they love. And by doing what they love, they're allowing you to do what you love. Yeah. And look, it goes, it goes very much back to you've, you've built a business and a system and a process and a culture that is really driven by values, not, not by, not by money. And like, yeah, you're clearly doing fine in that category. Um, but but it's it it is first and foremost about like what really matters to you and where those values lie and that's that i know that that creates a different experience obviously for the people that work for you but also for your clients and that experience because when you get to work with uh, a vendor or, or a partner who shares like real meaningful values, it's a completely different kind of working experience. And I mean, if we all take a moment to sit back and evaluate the companies that do that consistently, we'll notice a difference. I mean, think about Southwest Airlines. Like think about places where you go big and small that really celebrate the people that work there, where you can tell there's a culture. Um, I remember actually doing the pre-interview with 60 Minutes, we were talking a lot about culture and you know, all this turnover that people are experiencing with the big quit. And I was like, well, you know, when things aren't aligned to a culture and people aren't bought in and rallying around that culture, how do you reactivate them? And they're like, is there a way for people to fix this? And I was like, honestly, after you hire three people, I don't know. Because if you're not high, once you get beyond three people, you can't go back and just instantly correct for culture. Because then it's kind of beyond your hands as far as who all is being hired by the company. So if it's not aligned out the gate, how are you going to align it? And the tone you set from the very beginning. I mean, culture really is, we love to think of it as this grassroots thing. It's a top-down thing. And yeah, the grassroots efforts are going to bolster that and 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 spread it and make it that much more powerful. But it's, you know, in, in, in the companies that I've worked for, it's always the person at the top, the person who's building that team that lets you know Hey, no, no, no. This is how we do things. This is how we are. This is how we treat each other. And that sets the tone for everything. And you can't, to your point, you can't do it retroactively. And you also can't be like, oh, I guess we have to fix it. Let's, let's, let's now pretend to be like this. If it's not authentic, if it's not real, it's not going to freaking work. And I mean, so my slight soapbox too is entrepreneurs also need to be accountable for building cultures that are authentic to them. And I think this is also definitely more of a female thing where females are like, oh, I have to build a culture that's like warm and cuddly and fuzzy and like everybody's hugging and it's great. Like that is not my culture. That is not me. I thought our wedding planner was going to like yell at me because when he showed us our um, room when we were getting married, the reception hall, he's like, isn't it amazing? And I was like, this is cool. And he was like, where are the tears? What's going on? Like, <laughs> what's happening here? I was like, I love it. He was like, are you sure? I was like, no, I really do. And he was just like, Okay. But I mean, that's me. I'm not like, you know, we all have to sit and have trust circles and hold hands and pass a teddy bear around. Like, I'm like, okay, honest accountability, you know, executive mindset. Let's dig into the hard things that actually matter to our team and to our clients and to driving us forward. Oh, okay. Oh my God. We have covered so much ground. Um, I, I appreciate this so much. This is like one freaking knowledge bomb after another. This is, has, been so good. All right. I also can guarantee that at least one person, and I'm sure it's going to be more listening, want to know how to work with you, how to get in touch. I mean, who knows, maybe it'll be another interview or something. How did, how did they reach out to you? Where did they find you? 
So our website is the best place, worksbee.com. We have our contact form there to get in contact with us. If you want to set up a call to learn more about our services, you can do it there. If you want to learn about being an executive assistant, you can see everything there and apply there. Um, Everything that you need to know and as far as contacting someone would be through our website. So W-O-R-X-B-E-E.com. I love it. Okay. So last three questions. First one, uh, what, what's something that makes you grateful to be a founder? The people that I get to touch. Um, so I say my greatest joy is also my greatest stress, which is helping, you know, support these households and helping celebrate people for being amazing executive assistants. Like that is what I am most grateful for. Um, when we originally started the company, it was on the heels of the great recession And the first woman, Mary Lou, who came in to be interviewed, who is still with us and still with our very first client, when she walked in and told us her story of everything that she had been through during the economic downturn, like it still gives, makes my hair stand up. I'm like, this, this is what it's all about. This is why we're here. This is the impact we have, the ability of the impact we have to make on someone's life. So yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, I also have a feeling I know what the answer is going to be to this. So what is the resource? What is the resource that you are always recommending to other founders? Something that was pivotal in your growth? I mean, EOS, I feel like there's a long <laughs> list of things. Um, but EOS definitely stands out. Um, I would also say profit first, because I don't know if we would have survived the pandemic if we did not have that financial structure in place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's very good recommendation. And last but not least, if today Kenzie could go back in time and give what 2012 pre-entrepreneurial Kenzie, a, a, um, a, a piece of advice, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her, enjoy the ride because there's going to be a lot that you love. There's going to be a lot that you suck, but you, <laughs> it's going to suck, but you need to go through all the steps in order to get to where you're going. Because if I skipped any part of the journey and some of those parts, like I said, really, really, really suck. If I skipped any parts of those journey, I would not be where I am today. I I very much appreciate that message because I think we all need that reminder sometimes. Kenzie, thank you for this. This was an amazing conversation. I freaking love your energy. So impressed with your business and what you're doing. Can't wait to hear what happens next. And of course, a reminder just went off. I thought I turned them all off. But yes, thank you, Casey. I was like, oh, crap. Thank you, Casey, for having me. It has been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time. 